Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast. This is a sample of our recent bonus episode, usually only available to members. These episodes are comprised of our crew of researchers, Amanda and myself, all getting together for a roundtable discussion on topics that we find interesting. So here's a few minutes for free so you can know what all the fuss is about. And in the private clubs, they, they mentioned that the, the mayor of New York, who's... <laughs> I don't know. I I only catch headlines about him every once in a while, but like they're never positive. Apparently he likes to hang out at one of these private clubs that charge either from like what I I love this, the range 1000 to 200,000 initiation fees. That's just to get in. And then there are the annual dues on top of that. One of these private clubs I think is kind of near the pier, which is convenient for you to access the private helicopter service that'll take a group of up to six to any of the local airports for about $2,000 one way. Primarily the Hamptons, obviously. <laughs> no, I think that's a lot more. I think that's like 5000 to get you to the Hamptons. Mm. But it's like it's only 2000 if you want to go to an, a nearby airport and, and pick <laughs> up your private jet. Um, keep in mind, though, I think the $2,000... A private helicopter ride is for the whole group of up to six. So if you're helicopter pooling, you can also really save a bundle on that. It's like, you know, only a few hundred dollars a person to get to the airport. So that that's what's happening at, at the higher end. They didn't mention the rates of syphilis in that community. Mm. I mean, the obvious like connection here is that this is like a semi rational response for super rich people to create these, little safe havens in a city that like all American cities are struggling. All American cities are in decline on all kinds of metrics. So since we don't have a, you know, a policy in place to make those cities better, they have money and they want to make their lives better. So why not use it on making their lives better as opposed to, if funding was given to those cities, they would enjoy living in New York as is like, that was kind of like the, like it, it even mentioned that in the article, like the idea of New York, especially among all other cities in, in America was that everyone kind of had to bump up against each other day to day. Like even if you're super rich, you had to exist, but because of infrastructure failing and just the lack of just basic necessities and infrastructure being taken care of, like, it does make sense that if you have all this money, why would you want to be on the the rotting infrastructure? Why would you want to be in the rotting city when you can be in the cool parts that are being funded with all of the private money? So, I mean, they're making a logical choice. And you're safe from syphilis, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, of people making rational choices to make their lives better amid Otherwise, horrific circumstances, that's a perfect transition to the everyday Americans who are headed to the drive-thru and sparking an innovation in drive-thru technology like we've maybe never seen before. What did the article describe? That we're in the, we're in the age of drive-thru optimization. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a great mm-hmm. phrase. But of course, a lot of this is being driven by the pandemic. It says that drive through traffic rose 30% from 2019 to 2022. And the number of people eating inside fast food restaurants in the first half of 2023 fell by 47% from the same period. 
and now drive throughs account for more than half. I think like two thirds of all fast food purchases go through the drive through. Others point to cultural shifts like the growing popularity of coffee shop drive throughs among Generation Z and young millennials, and even pet ownership, which skyrocketed during the pandemic. So people have purchased pets, they want to take their pets with them, but they can't take their pet into Starbucks. So they use the drive through. And, you know, and then you get into the the real dark stuff, they start interviewing just like regular people who use drive throughs One person says, I got out of the habit. I think I'm like a lot of people who just don't necessarily like being social that much anymore. Specifically calling out Chick-fil-A and Dutch Brothers, who these are companies who like if if the drive through line starts to get long, they'll send out an employee with, with like a you know tablet to take people's orders and get them into the computer so they can start making your food before you've had a chance to get to the two-way speaker. And Caleb Edwards, a rapper, lamented in a TikTok video about this phenomenon. He says, I do the drive through so I can be antisocial. Now you're forcing me to interact. Nah, bro. Let me just drive through. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, there's, there's a lot of layers going on there. So one of the points that, you know, was someone just kind of summarizing their feelings about the whole thing. They said, you know. Fellow, fellow shoppers are disgruntled. Staff are equally unhappy and difficult to be around. There are times when it's just not worth it. So I just find that fascinating because like, okay, yeah, other customers, I guess like, yeah, no one really wants to hang out with disgruntled fellow customers. They're a pain. But saying that the staff are equally unhappy and being like, the solution is just don't look at them. Mm-hmm. Now that's... That- the solution. <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate you pointing to that because I unintentionally skipped that quote because this was the connection to what Dion was just saying. Uh, the, the first part of the quote was, these are all sorts of ways people are prioritizing safety. The drive-through mentally keeps people both physically and psychologically safe. <laughs> and to me, that was like, that's the whole takeaway. Mm-hmm. We're oh, like, we individually and society as a whole is so broken that like any interaction with another person has the potential to like ruin our day or longer. And so we're just safer off either driving through a fancy new drive through from Taco Bell that uh, they've invented a new store called the Taco Bell Defy, um, which defies expectations or human nature or I don't know what. And there is no dining room. It's just like a bank it's with like multiple drive through. Yeah, it's yeah. like three, four lanes of drive through. And um, you never it have to see like another a border person. crossing, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the border crossing and like the the one human interaction you would have is like the person handing you your food is gone. Like, gone. It, yeah. like the food comes through the little tubes. Uh, dumb waiter well, or pneumatic tube yeah i was about to say not only that ordering which is usually human to human even if it's yeah. facilitated through a computer you're now doing that on an app for the that specific one so like literally eliminated human connection completely out of that process so this is a tangent for sure but <laughs> like my little like hobby horse lately has been like seeing all these connections to how disconnected we are through the lens of cars. Like there's so many different like people talking about it in different ways, but like 
I had like a a little like just a real sad moment watching a video on this uh, YouTube channel called Not Just Bikes, who talks about like he's a guy who does a, has a YouTube channel. He lives in uh, the Netherlands, and he was talking about this uh, train station in. I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to try it. Dreibergen uh, Zeist. It's this little Nailed it. town. It, <laughs> no, definitely not. But this little town that has like, I think it's got like 15,000 people. And they built this train station there to connect a couple of bigger cities. And it's this enormous project that they did in a very short amount of time because of the engineering that went into it. The, they were working 24-7 on shifts, and they got it done in a really short amount of time. There's amazing bike lanes. There's a bunch of bike parking. You don't actually have to cross a street at any point to get on a bus after you get off the train. It's this amazing thing. And I was talking to my brother about it. Like I had this like just this real emotional reaction to it because – we're never going to do that. <laughs> That's not even anywhere near on the table. You had but, envy. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because like, I, th- I think we've talked about this on here before, like Kansas city is the closest city to me and the downtown has twice as much parking as it has living space. It's, it's empty parking lots as far as the eye can see. Uh, pedestrian deaths, were plummeting and I, I saw like from from accidents but they've kind of gone on the rise but this this guy i can't i can't remember he's a tiktok creator i wish i could give him credit but he was talking about why pedestrian deaths might have gone down over the last 15 years is that everything is unwalkable people don't walk anymore they're not pedestrians to be hit by cars mm-hmm. this is all like we're steering into the problem, the problem of this isolation that we're feeling, this this fear of other people, this mental like safety that we need to have from other people is caused by the thing that we are using as the solution to the thing that we're feeling. Like getting away from people isn't the problem. The problem is that we are getting away from people. And it goes back to that article in the New York Times about the the rich people creating these like walled off little self-experiences. So they are separating themselves from us pores. And that's not the solution. The solution is to put us all back together to see each other as human, because they may be afraid to know that a lot of us aren't feeling great about rich people right now. And if, if we had to interact with them on a daily basis, maybe we wouldn't feel the same way that like collectively a lot of people are feeling about the rich and we could see them as human. They could see us as human. And the solution to that transportation, just nice trains. If everybody had to get on the same train to go to the same place, just, just bump each other. Like maybe not even have a conversation, but just like you exist. I exist. We're sharing this space. We need way more shared spaces and transportation is like the ultimate like solution to a lot of problems that we have in this country. This one video had a, a map of Japan overlaid on the East coast and all of Japan is connected with trains, like great, smooth, fast trains that are way f- more advanced than anything we have. And a lot of them are, you know, 30, 30 years old. So they're, they're kind of aging technology, but they're more advanced than anything we have. And the East Coast isn't connected even a little bit, except for that, you know, Amtrak Joe train that he rode from, you know, the, the Acela Corridor. That's all there is, really. There, we don't have that connection. And 
it would be cool if we can start talking about that maybe is like, that's a real thing we could really do. The reason we built all these cars, the highways was a choice and we made the choice and we did it. And it was an amazing technological accomplishment, but it was, had some really bad side effects, but we could do something else. We could fix the problem if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say anything to disagree with Dion, <laughs> but I am going to just validate that feeling of not wanting to interact with other people. Because I think what you're pointing at, like we have now stripped away society. We've taken away a lot of public collective spaces. We've made, at least I'll speak just in the United States, but this is pretty applicable. A lot of places we've made it very you focused, right? Like advertisers, it's about you. What can we do to make you happy Buy this? Like everything is centered in you. You have social media that's curated for you. So now we're living in a society where we've taught a bunch of people to only like focus on themselves while we stripped away the infrastructure that made it harder to not be about, you know, community and those around you. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. I completely validate that because I also feel the frustration where I love people but interacting with them day to day in certain circumstances is getting harder. Like it is harder to interact with someone revolving around food because I completely understand the grievance and why they're unhappy. But like in this interaction, what do we do about it? Besides, I guess, cook your own food period. (laughs) But then I mean, we'll go into work. There's like so many issues that like trickle down into this, like one story about doing drive-throughs. I am going to just like mourn a little bit that, we're like, we know this is happening. It is terrible, but I'd rather not see it. So I'm going to go to the drive-thru. That's sad, but also understandable. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it is the classic social problem because no one can solve it on their own. It, you know, like mostly I talk about social problems related to like phone usage that if you have decided to not be addicted to your phone and you're like not going to take it out when in a social situation, that's great. But if other people do, then like you haven't solved the problem and people having lived through a pandemic and they're not just uh, rusty on their social skills. They're self-aware that they are rusty on their social skills. Like people are pretty familiar with that phenomenon. And they're like, I have a hard time interacting with other people because it's hard for me and other people have gone through the same thing. And they also like either on an individual level or because they're working a shitty job where they have to interact with like unpleasant customers on a regular basis, of course is going to put them in a bad mood. And so like these, a bunch of people who don't want to interact with each other are being funneled into the system where you're then being asked the question, do you want to interact with people or, or don't you? And so of course people are going to be like, nah, just give me, just give me the food and I don't need the conversation. What really struck me as interesting at, at the end of this article was one driver from LA who was describing how drive through culture is so dominant in LA because car culture is so dominant in, in LA. And he actually phrased it this way, which is like totally counter to everyone else wanting to avoid people. He said, for less than two minutes, that person in the window has to focus on you and only you. Then you get your burrito and go on with your day. 
And I thought like, <laughs> what is going on in <laughs> that person's life where he's like, no, I mean, drive throughs are great because that's where I get my social interaction. Oh. Hey there, I have well, good news barista, for you, partly because I'm feeling generous and partly because I fell behind on the production schedule. Today's bonus sample is actually two. It's two for one. So what you're about to hear is a sample from the bonus episode that followed the previous bonus episode that you just heard. A clip. You get how it works. And don't forget that we are running a special for the month of December. There's currently 20% off on new memberships. So act fast on that. Go to bestoftheleft.com slash support. You can do that now or after hearing this extra clip. We say we want to be challenged. We say we want to hear all sides, but that's not how we act when we seek out podcasts. I'm Mike Pesca, host of The Gist, and I'm crazy enough to think that we are up to the challenge. I challenge myself. I challenge my guests. I invite you in. We'll talk about such issues as masks. I mean, I know they work, but on a population level, the evidence is less than clear. Mass shootings, horrible, but they account for less than 1% of all shootings. Do we do ourselves and our society a disservice when we focus on them? These questions and more explored and challenged every day on The Gist, wherever you get your podcasts. Vox had an interesting article came out a little while ago titled Silicon Valley's Vision for AI, It's Religion Repackaged. And I was like, you got me. I'm going to read this now. And so it starts by saying, suppose I told you that in 10 years, the world as you know it would be over. You will live in a sort of paradise. You won't get sick or age or die. Eternal life will be yours. Even better, your mind will be blissfully free of uncertainty. You'll have access to perfect knowledge. Oh, and you'll no longer be stuck on earth. Instead, you can live up in the heavens. If I told you all of this, would you assume that I was a religious preacher or an AI researcher? Either one would be a pretty solid guess. And then goes on to sort of detail a little bit more saying that technologists propose cheating death by uploading our minds to the cloud where we can live digitally for all eternity. They talk about AI as a decision-making agent that can judge with mathematical certainty what's optimal and what's not. And they envision artificial general intelligence, AGI, a hypothetical system that can match human problem-solving abilities across many domains as an endeavor that guarantees human salvation if it goes well, even as it spells doom if it goes badly. These visions are almost identical to the branch of theology that deals with the end times and the final destiny of humanity. And this article does stress, like, there's nothing inherently bad about a religious idea. So it's not like, well, if ideas about technology are similar to religion, or they sort of map onto old religious ideas well, it doesn't mean that that idea is wrong or bad or doomed to fail or or built on myths or anything like that. And it might even sort of uh, point in the other direction, is that ideas that are attached to religion are very often the sort of core needs of humans which is why, number one, religion addresses them because we can't find the answers elsewhere. And number two, they stand the test of time. Like religions definitely evolve over time. 
And I mean, sort of in a Darwinian sense, it's almost ironic that, uh, you know, religions will change how they preach to their flocks over time to sort of meet the needs of people where they are. And so anything that has stood the test of time within religion is probably pointing to something that humans have needed help with throughout the ages. And so this article is just drawing a lot of these parallels, making a lot of these connections with religious ideas and how they map onto our current vision of AI and what it could bring for us. And it turns out that a lot of the AI promises are sort of promising things that people have been looking for for thousands of years. I'm upset with myself that I never made that connection before. Like when they're talking about like uploading your consciousness, they're talking about heaven because I've always thought, well, that sounds like hell to me. Like that sounds awful, but it's this like, we're just looking at it from the, at the same thing through two different lenses, but that's what they're talking about in afterlife. And of course they're talking about it. Like it's the most human thing we, we do as humans is, Hey, am I going to be here forever? Do I, am I just over? Is it, is it, that's it. That's like, and they're trying to solve that problem. That, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, once it's sort of presented to you, it it feels suddenly obvious, but you know, of course, for most people isn't. I, I don't think I pulled the quote, but they they referenced a tweet like a like a Silicon Valley person who works in an organization related to AI safety said something along the lines of of like, sometimes I wonder if all the fervor over AI, this like near religious fervor over AI is actually just misplaced energy coming from people who grew up in a totally secular world, but they actually still have the same instincts as every other human throughout all of history who has gravitated towards religion for their answers to these same questions. And now these secular thinkers in Silicon Valley they're asking the same questions and they're coming to different answers, you know, based on their own context. Did you pull the part in the article that made a reference towards the past and how I think it was the middle ages that they talked about technology was kind of linked with that religious aspect. I, I pulled a little bit of that. So it says yeah, I found that interesting. in the middle ages, Catholics were seen as innovators Uh, There's a reason why some say the Catholic Church was the Silicon Valley of the Middle Ages. It was responsible for everything from metallurgy, mills, and musical notation to the wide-scale adoption of clocks and the printing press. And it explains this wasn't tech for tech's sake or for profit's sake. Instead, tech progress was synonymous with moral progress by recovering humans' original perfection, we could usher in the kingdom of God. So it's sort of the article frames it as like, you know, in in the Christian faith, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and we were perfect until Eve screwed us all over. We got kicked out of the garden, and we've been paying the price ever since. And technology advancements seen through a religious lens was seen as incrementally bringing humanity closer to that previous form of perfection that we once enjoyed. Uh, and, and it was predicted, you know, like hundreds of years ago, 
that one day we would use technology to overcome mortality, quote, for the glory of the creator and the relief of man's estate, end quote. And so it's almost like that's how we got to the framing of technological advancement as being a moral good worthy of pursuing for its own right because it's bringing humans closer to perfection. I almost see it as a parallel to the differences between Western culture and most indigenous cultures where it's like we, you know, we, whatever Christian dominant culture was taught nature is there to be dominated. And for most indigenous cultures, it's that we are part of nature. We are to integrate with it. And like those things branch off in wildly different directions in terms of how humans decide to interact with nature. This it's like the technological flip side of that same idea is technology got framed as good and moral. Like any technological advancement is not just good because it might make people more comfortable or, uh, you know, lead easier lives or live healthier lives, but it's like moral to advance. And, you know, of course, lots of technological advancements have been good for people and plenty of them have not been. I do find it fascinating that the that just the concept of transhumanism is much older than I thought it was. So this is obviously, you know, for me, it feels new and strange to even like entertain the idea <laughs> of such a thing. But there are people who mostly have been involved in religion that have been thinking about this for quite some time. That does change the framing for me in a big way, because when I started, I think we had some light conversation about how AI and religion is connected and like the show Mrs. Davis, which we watched recently kind of bridges that as well, religion and AI. And I just thought like, what a weird pairing, how strange, but this is obviously like people have been on this for some time. So I feel behind is what really the point of that (laughs) statement. One, I think it's natural. It's like, maybe these are people who grew up again in that secular culture as we all mostly have. And maybe they like came to the conclusion that God wasn't real. It, that doesn't mean science can't solve for like fill in blank. <laughs> mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I do feel like this is a very science approach to the religion question. So I think Dion was right on the money where I don't know how I didn't make these connections before, but I didn't. And now it's just so blaringly obvious that this is, <laughs> I mean, literally just taking the step guide and applying the science to it. And then I think there's also, you know, in discussions today and how we frame things like science, advancement, technology, like all of those are always framed in the good without considering like, should we is it actually better? Is it going to benefit us in the way that we think it is? Personally, th- this is just the way I've always thought of God. Like the way it's used in society is all the stuff we don't know. Like it's just a giant placeholder. And that makes perfect sense if if you are a secular atheist-ish person in the science fields who's trying to learn all the stuff that we don't know that you are trying to fill in the gap of, of what, like if you view it the way I do, 
of all the other things. You're trying to play God in a, in a way. And I don't know that they would see it that way. But if you are really trying to get past just the completely normal life and death cycle and live forever, you're explicitly trying to play God, right? And do they see it that way? Do they understand that that's what they're doing? Do they think it's a good thing, a bad thing? It's really like the way they talk about it all the time, the same way they talk about like Uber, like just trying to solve like driving. I'm also trying to solve the existence of humanity after, after death as the, the same kind of thing. That's, that's what, like, that's the only, that's the worrying part where you get into, is this good or bad? Like maybe you haven't thought it. about it as much. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm disrupting life as the same way I'm disrupting traffic. <laughs> yeah. Tech, techno optimists. They, uh, I mean, the, the quote that rings in my head on a regular basis from years ago was the, vice president at Amazon who, when asked, does Amazon, does Amazon like take a look at what critics have to say and then try to build their systems to avoid falling into the pitfalls the critics are warning about? And he was like, Oh, on my best day, I, I spend all my time thinking about the future. I, yeah, we don't, we don't guard against anything that could be bad (laughs) because we're just trying to build good things and it feels great. It's like, Oh boy. And they're effectively in charge. Yeah. I mean, the part, it kind of connected to that outlook. The part that grabbed me was like, you know, they're interviewing this person about technology in the future and whether it's good or not or whatever. And they say, but she's also clear that we need to be explicit about which values are shaping our tech so that we can develop the technology with purpose and with ethical boundaries. I mean, you know, I'm reading it, I'm not hearing it, but like, if you're saying those words and you think like, it's just one thing we have to consider, that's the core of what we have to consider. That's everything. And right now, <laughs> it feels like the entire world is having a battle for values and we don't know who's going to win yet. So how on earth are we going to be able to clearly define what the values for this kind of tech, which is next level stuff, really are and who's going to keep them in line. And, you know, like it's, there are so many questions from just that word values. Like I'm not sure anybody knows what our collective values are these days. Like that's kind of foundational. That's it for today's free sample. There's lots more of that particular episode, as well as there being dozens of past bonus episodes that you get access to in your feed the minute you sign up as a new member. Paying members are who make this entire show possible, and so these bonus episodes are a fun way to say thanks to them for their support. In addition to those full bonus episodes, members also get bonus clips in every single regular episode, as well as there being no ads in the regular show. If you would like to be our newest member, you can sign up at bestoftheleft.com slash support. You can use our Patreon page, or you can do it from right inside the Apple Podcast app, and links to get there are right in our show notes. And if you can't afford membership, I offer free financial hardship memberships. Just drop me an email to j at bestoftheleft.com, and we will get you set up, no questions asked. Or, again, to sign up and support the show and our ability to give away free financial hardship memberships, visit us at bestofleft.com support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.